Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. We are sequestered in our houses right now, in our homes. How are you doing, Rachel? We are more than six feet away from each other, Chris. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a crazy time we're living in right now. It is. Um, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty, and that is making everybody nervous. But we are here now. We'll start off with this right here, this piece of positivity. You and I have had a relationship for years that has been primarily, almost exclusively, except for one time where we got to have dinner together, has been this, you know, screen time. And, and we're, we're, we're best buds, you know what I mean? So this, we, we are maybe kind of uniquely equipped, but if it works for us, it can work for everyone else as well. I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, I think anytime there's a change, people feel uncomfortable and nervous. Um, I think we all there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of type A SLPs out there. There's a lot of type B too, but I think that we're all kind of trying to figure out online learning, telepractice, how we can support our students from afar, and I think that it's just it's a it's a crazy time where we're trying to learn as much as we can and 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 try things that we've never tried all while we have a global pandemic happening. Um, you know, so it's it's really a, a stressful time in a lot of people's lives. Well, on the date of this recording, it's it's on a Wednesday, and this afternoon you're going to be doing a webinar with CoughDrop, right? But not that it's specific to CoughDrop; they just happen to be kind of sponsoring the webinar. Am I thinking of that right? And it's all about telepractice. Yeah, so it's an early AAC in the cloud, which is a uh, annual online conference that CoughDrop sponsors. Um, so it's an early AAC in the cloud session. They reached out to me and said, "Hey, we know you do telepractice in AAC. We get a, we're getting a lot of people." asking questions about telepractice and AAC, can you do a webinar? And so of course I was like, yes, I definitely can because I definitely do telepractice and AAC. And I feel like I have a lot that I could share about my experience. And I mean, the response has been overwhelming. They, they reached out to me and they were like, we had to change the platform. Like, you know, within, I don't even know how many hours it was like, we already had a thousand people sign up at this point. I have a bit.ly link that's attached for people to sign up. And it's like almost 3000 people have clicked on that link. So I don't know how many people are going to be there later, but it's going to be a lot. I know that when I saw you post about it on Facebook, I shared it through Facebook and my mom actually shared it then. I was like, Oh mom, right. I sent you that this morning. I know. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, it took me a second to figure out what was happening because I saw my post. And then, you know, you said some comment like, way to go, mom. And I'm like, what? And then I saw like Bouguet as the last name. And I was like, oh my gosh, Chris's mom shared my, <laughs> my webinar. Thank you. Yeah. Now, one of the things uh, that this webinar is going to touch on are who are the good candidates for telepractice? Because, you know, clearly there are people that they would be terrible candidates for, can you hear the, the sarcasm in my voice? I hope so. So Rachel, who are good candidates for telepractice? All kids are good candidates for telepractice. And I actually posted on uh, my social media, a visual that says that all children are good candidates for telepractice. And it was in response to a lot of of the comments that I'm seeing by you know speech language pathologists online saying, oh, this is great, but this wouldn't work for my population. Or, you know, this is great, but my kid's too low functioning for this. Um, and so, you know, it was in response to this notion that there are good candidates and not good candidates for telepractice. It might look a little bit different, but all children can benefit from having a qualified speech language pathologist helping to guide communication opportunities and facilitate communication from afar. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> when you told me there was uh, some people that I, I hadn't realized, my, my nose has been really stuck in uh, what's happening in the accessibility world. And I had not realized that there were a contingent of people starting to spread that sort of myth that there are candidates and, and not good candidates. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like it got me all fired up. Like I felt like we were past this with AAC for the most part, you know, or that there's a very small minority that we're thinking with AAC wise, like, oh, well, they would not be a good candidate for AAC. Like that is such a myth that I think most of us have really busted. And it's just finding out, okay, what is going to be the right AAC? Well, now here we have a whole nother myth in the middle of this crisis pandemic of saying, well, I'm sorry, I guess I can't help you because you're not a good candidate for telepractice. That to me just sounds like an excuse, like that you don't want to do it or you don't want to be be able to come up with the creative ways of how you can help these people. I mean, really, it's it's a choice of two things, right, Rachel? It's it's, it's either you... You, they they get nothing or they get you trying, you know? And so how about they get you trying? <laughs> I could not agree more. And there's this notion that, you know, a child can't attend to the screen. And my response to that is they don't need to. It doesn't have to look like that. And there's so many different things that we can do for children who don't have attention to look at a screen. You know, it's this idea that telepractice has to be direct, a direct service model. And while that does work for some students, it does not work for all students. And so, you know, we really need to think outside the box as to how we can, you know, facilitate opportunities for communication partner training, coaching parents, coaching siblings. I was, uh, you know, on the interview that you're going to hear a little bit later today, which is Carolyn Musselwhite. I'm real excited. Um, I was talking about how, you know, I'm pulling siblings into the mix. Um, One, because parents are really stressed out right now. They're really overwhelmed. They're oftentimes juggling homeschooling and working, you know, remotely. And then it's like, add it to the list. Let's do a, you know, a speech therapy session. And so for parents who are feeling overwhelmed, you know, I'm gauging that as a clinician and I'm saying, you know what, it's fine. Get the sibling, put him in front of the computer right now. And I'm going to teach him about modeling and he's going to be, you know, the facilitator in this session. Um, you know, another thing that I'm going to be talking about later in my webinar is we can use videos and we can coach parents through experiences that have already happened. So it doesn't have to be, you know, in real time, I'm, you know, coaching you through an activity. It can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. You know, I recruited a, a grandmother the other day and, you know, because again, mom was overwhelmed and she's like, I can't do this. And I'm like, it's fine. I was like, just send me grandma's information. You know, grandma and I spoke and I was like, send me any videos that you have, you know, with this specific student. And it wasn't, you know, grandma trying to sit down and do a speech and language activity. It was just a video that she had. And I was able to, you know, walk through the video, pause it and, you know, help her reflect, teach, you know, about basic communication strategies, you know, what kinds of words that she could model on the device in that specific activity and, you know, an idea for the next time that, you know, either they FaceTime, you know, or they see each other in in real life, like the kinds of things that she can start doing to help facilitate communication. I feel like, um, and you're going to hear us say this uh, later on in the interview, so I apologize for repeating it twice in the same episode, but uh, I feel like it's important is that 
so many people think, what you mentioned is that direct therapy model, right? And that's what therapy is, is a speech therapist uh, or whatever therapist working directly with an individual. And what you just talked about was talking about uh, how building up those communication partners, even if it's not the parent, even if it's some sort of other communication partner that is in the sphere of the AAC user, coaching them through it. And that is where telepractice can really benefit. And, and when I say that, I mean, that's one place it can really benefit. When I say that, I really think that the, the, so much of therapy is direct services, but what if it wasn't? Like, what if our mentality completely changed? For years, we've been talking about making, uh, doing communication partners, making uh, coaching models, uh, consulting models, said that's foreshadowing what's coming later. But what if when this is all over and we're past all this, this is just how we do it now, that direct therapy is only a small percentage of what we do. And really it's helping everyone else, the, the other teachers we work with, the other therapists we work with, the other parents, the siblings, the, the relatives, and anyone else, community partners, that uh, we teach them how to do it. Absolutely. And I have to, you know, I have to recognize that this is hard for people, right? Like what I'm asking is not easy. Right. And, and if I had an ideal situation, I would not be seeing a lot of these kids via telepractice. You know, it, it, while it can be effective, it's not my first choice. Um, you know, it's always my first choice to be sitting in a room connecting with a student in person. But the reality is that we don't always have access uh, to students. Sometimes people live in remote places, which is why I do telepractice, you know, with some families who don't live close to me. You know, other families, you know, we live in LA, LA traffic's good right now because no one's on the road, but typically it's really hard, you know, and so we can use these modalities and this technology to help support. But I recognize that it's not easy. And a lot of times it's stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, our comfort zone as speech language pathologists is like, look, I can do therapy. I can work with a student. I can, you know, do all the things that I've been taught, you know, in, in my graduate program and in my clinical experience. Um, you know, about communication temptations and sabotage and, you know, all these things we know. And it's like we do them so naturally because we've been doing them for so long. Um, so now what we're asking is like, okay, take a step back. Now you have to be a teacher, right? You have to teach these things that we do so naturally and so organically. Um, and so sometimes that's hard to wrap your head around. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. That's the other thing that I think a lot of people, um, they avoid because they don't want to be, you know, teaching. They don't want to be coaching because it feels a little awkward at first, you know, and, and I would agree with that. I have a lot of experience coaching, you know, clinicians and other therapists and parents. And sometimes even for me, if I haven't been that, that role in a, a client or a communication partner's life, it's a little awkward at first. Like you have to like, you know, kind of put your ego aside and say like, this is going to feel a little funny, but like, let's just work through this. Let's collaborate. Like, let me help, you know, get you through this activity or review a video and, you know, in a very constructive way, go through it and say, what could we have done here? You know, we seem to be losing steam. Um, I just had this conversation yesterday. Mom sent me a video of a child who was getting really antsy and started you know, escalating, you know, he was getting upset because he had to sit there and, you know, I think she was doing like a prepositions activity or something. And so like, I paused it and I was like, okay, like, what are the signs that he's showing you that he's you know, becoming dysregulated? And so we just talked about those subtleties that, you know, clinicians oftentimes can see parents don't really see it until it's like in their face. It's like, okay, he's crying or like he threw something. 
you know, but like there's subtleties that lead up that he's telling us that he's frustrated right now. You know, in this situation, you know, we need to maybe scale back the demand. We need, we need to bring something fun into the mix um, to change it up. And so it's like we have these opportunities to really work alongside of parents and collaborate and teach them all the things that we just take for granted that we know and use every day. Well, and I think so often, uh, I know I've said in, in our neck of the woods, it's like, well, geez, how can we coach parents through this? When do we have time? Or, you know, it's kind of an old joke with teachers is that you'd say, geez, I could get so much done if I didn't have the kids, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, but that's the whole point of teaching. So, well, same thing here. It's like, geez, if I wasn't working with the kids, I could really coach the parents, you know? Well, now we can do that. You know, we have time to do that. We, and and again, not just parents, like you said, that, that it can be very overwhelming and, and um, scary. This is a scary time for people. Another thing you said that really resonated with me is that it's not easy, right? But if it was easy, we wouldn't have to do it. Do you know what I mean? It would just come natural to everybody. It doesn't. So anything worth doing is going to be hard. And that's where the growth comes. That's where learning comes is that if you're not really learning anything unless there's a little bit of a struggle, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that's how you over overcome it. And that's how you learn from it. So I feel like that's what this is. Uh, yes, it can be a little uncomfortable, but you learn and then you give you build a new script for yourself and you figure it out and don't avoid it. Uh, embrace it because that's where growth comes from. And I have to tell you, it's, I've been doing um, a lot of telepractice the last two weeks, uh, especially. And I have to say, parents who were not really interested in me coaching them or learning strategies, you know, the parents that maybe the nanny would bring them to my sessions, um, these are the parents that are showing up now. These are the parents that are like, you know, I did a session yesterday and mom was in the kitchen because I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's take this natural environment, right? We're, we're requesting food right now because that's what she's real excited about. You know, go to the kitchen. Where do you eat? Like, go where you actually eat. Like not in my therapy room where it's like contrived, right? Like I'm excited. Like let's get in the kitchen. And mom is standing in the kitchen. The device is strapped across her body and she's modeling. You know, we had a little jar. We were working on open. Um, we were opening the refrigerator, we were opening the cabinets, and it was just like, you know, this is a mom who I, I, might have, I might have anticipated would not buy into this process, right? Just given all that I know about everything leading up to our work together right now, I would have said, oh, like, I don't really know. And I did think that in my head, but I'm like, you know what, we're going to try this thing and, you know, I'm just going to go for it and I'm going to tell parents exactly what the things... I'm going to tell parents exactly the kinds of things that I want to start seeing them do that can help move the ball forward for communication. Um, you know, because ultimately parents want to do, you know, the best thing for their child. They want to do these things. They just don't know how. And it's like, that's where we have this opportunity, you know, more so now than ever, because it, you know, parents are kind of backed into a corner, you know, no one's allowed to come into the house. So it's like, it's either this or it's nothing. And, you know, I would encourage clinicians, you know, it has to be something. It doesn't have to be the best therapy session you've ever had. It doesn't have to be the most creative. It just has to be something because as we continue to go down this path, we're going to learn how to do better. We're going to have great ideas. They're going to come up naturally as we're doing this, but we have to start. So if we don't start, we'll never know. And, you know, our kids, they're the most vulnerable to not getting services, right? They're the most vulnerable population to not having the supports. And I'd argue that they're probably the most vulnerable to regress if they don't have the supports. So it's like we really need to, to come together as a field and provide the support these students need now more than ever. 
All right, Rachel, we have this great uh, interview coming up with Caroline Musselwhite. Before we get into that, let's talk about how we're doing on the goal of reaching 50 people in Patreon. So you had issued a challenge. Can we get to 50 people in Patreon? And oh, look, you are furiously checking your app to see, has anyone signed up just in the last few minutes to give us the, the latest update on the number? And so what's the number? How are we? Chris, we're at 47. 47, we're three people away. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. And I have to say that you guys have been really impressing me in the last, like, I'd say 24 to 48 hours. We have had so many new Patreon members. I think that, you know, I've definitely been very active on social media, you know, posting a lot and, you know, we've been doing webinars, Chris, and, you know, but it's, it, it's so exciting to see that we're all coming together and you guys are joining us, um, you know, in this membership. We really are excited because it's a it's it's a community that we love so much, and now you know we're able to talk directly to you guys. Um, so thank you guys so much for all the people that have joined. I don't even know; it's been like at least fifteen other people since the last time we recorded. So we're almost there. We're three people away from getting to our goal of fifty, and then I don't know, Chris, what's next? A hundred? I think a hundred would be the next uh, the next goal, right? Let's double it, right? Just so people know, we have some bonus content that will be coming out as soon as we hit 50. We have, um, well, not as soon as, but you know, soon after that will be coming out. And we have all sorts of plans about uh, other things we'd like to do. So now's the time to please share out that Patreon. Uh, how, do you, how do people access it, Rachel? Uh, you go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. And so Rachel, how much is it to sign up for Patreon? So we are asking for $8 a month, which is $2 an episode. We typically release uh, four episodes a month. It's pretty straightforward. And I'm really excited because my ideal situation is that I'm going to start posting some clips of me doing telepractice for AAC um, because I've had a lot of our Patreon members already say that's something that they would love to see. And I think that we learn best through watching other clinicians. And so I've had some of my clients that have been um, very nice to agree to allow, you know, the recording of our sessions for educational purposes. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hopefully add some of that content to the Patreon very soon. Uh, we did get the first installment of money. What are some of the things we did with that money to put it back into the podcast? Well, we definitely paid uh, our audio editor, Michaela, and Luke, our podcast producer, and we're actually building out a really amazing website. So we're really excited to, to eventually launch that. It's been kind of a crazy time where we haven't been able to dedicate as much energy to that, but we're building out a new website so that you guys can have a hub. Right now we have a bit.ly link, which um, has served its purposes, but um, we want an actual website so that you guys can go see our episodes, see the latest posts. Um, sign up for our email list, all these things that we've kind of been uh, building over time, we want to have in a shared location. So here's your chance. Please help us out by going over to patreon.com slash talking with tech and signing up for whatever you can give, but $8 a month is what we're asking for. So thank you so much. Awesome. So let's head into our interview, Chris, that we just, we just did with Carolyn Musselwhite. Speechblubs is an app that helps kids make sounds, then words, and then sentences with just 10 to 15 minutes of practice a day. The app has more than 1,500 fun activities for toddlers, preschoolers, and anyone with speech delays. Speechblubs was designed by speech therapists, parents, and kids too. Video models using actual kids are a big part of its main methodology. 
Video modeling is an evidence-based practice supported by copious amounts of research to help kids learn language. The embedded videos in the app show kids speaking. The app then invites them to imitate the video model. Parents know that hearing their child finally say mommy, either with their voice or AAC, is a true milestone. SpeechBlubs has more than 1 million downloads, proving that the app could be a great starting point. The subscription starts as low as $4.99 a month for the annual plan, which is a nominal investment to improve a child's speech and language abilities. Anyone can try the app for free for seven days, but as a listener of this podcast, SpeechBlubs is providing an extended trial for an entire month. Simply go to bit.ly backslash TWT SpeechBlubs and complete the form to receive an extended trial. Also, if you're a Talking With Tech Patreon member before April 2nd, 2020, you will receive a free lifetime membership to SpeechBlubs. Go to patreon.com backslash talkingwithtech to sign up. And check out speechblubs.com for more information about using this engaging and empowering app. That's speechblubs.com. Check it out today. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? Good. We have a, a really special guest that's with us right now. Who? Tell us, tell everybody, who do we have with us? Carolyn Musselwhite. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time with you guys, and I hope it won't be the last because this is such a great gift that you guys give to the world. Listen, well, thank Caroline, you for saying that. We've had a lot of people on this podcast, and you have been on my list. Like, we have to have Carolyn Musselwhite. We have to have her. So I'm so excited that we finally made this happen. Me too. So So, let's start out with people who might not know who you are and what you do. Can you give us a little background about uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, So I live in Phoenix, Arizona area, and I've been working uh, with people who use communication devices since, um, I guess, since before there were very many devices and more more, um, just paper boards. And so it's been about 45 years or so. And I just... I'm very passionate about the areas of working with people who use communication devices and Um, people who are struggling with literacy, people who everybody has said, no, 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 it's not for for those students. And it makes me crazy. And so my two areas that I'm really excited about are augmented communication and literacy. My background is I have a doctorate in speech pathology with a minor in special ed for students with really significant disabilities. So I've worked in hospitals and, and clinics and, and schools and day centers and gotten to teach some courses and just had a very uh, varied experiences and lots of fun. So you said you've been working in the field for 45 years. How did you get started in AAC? I mean, what was your first impetus? So Chris, you and I got to have a really long conversation about that. And this is going to be the Cliff Notes version. I was a volunteer at a state institution for people um, with significant, significant disabilities. And I found out across time that one young woman there Um, who I really thought wasn't so aware of anything, was extremely aware of everything and really crazy about a particular character on a soap opera and really sad when that character died. And so 
I wish that I could say that I then went in and made her amazing communication display, and I didn't. I was 19 and knew nothing. I'd never heard of this field. It didn't really exist then. But I did get to have really good conversations with her in terms of, you know, 20 questions types of things. And I did get this burning desire to work with people who were really struggling to be successful in their communication. And so when I found out about augmentative communication, I changed my major and went into speech pathology so that I could try to figure it out. And I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I think uh, there's a number of people that start off in AAC or start off with speech therapy because they know somebody or they met somebody that said, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's a sibling or some other family member, or it's someone that you worked with that you're like, wow, wait, you know, I want to learn more about this and how I can help more people around the world. Absolutely. So again, 45 years, I don't mean to, to harp on that number, um, but uh, that means you've seen, uh, at least just in my time of, of 20-ish years, I've seen a huge growth in a, I'm just curious, what do you find? And also just to be, uh, to be very transparent with everybody, we are currently recording this, this interview in the middle of the pandemic, right? So if I think of the whole breadth of, of time, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure everyone would love to hear the changes that have happened, what you think some of the biggest changes are in AAC. So it's looking at the long-term view, changes, obviously technology has changed a lot, but it's been interesting to see how there have been these fits and starts. So we had, back when we had the really horrible uh, text-to-speech, I mean, just really bad, <laughs> but lots of ability to have have pages and pages and and so many things people could say and people were really having some success and then we got the digitized speech and now people could say 32 things as long as they were really short so i felt like that was a huge backup for us that the idea of yes it sounds better but you don't get to say much um other big changes i've seen just finally, 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 our field now believes in um, having using core language that that should be one of the options. That initially everything was sentences, pre-programmed full sentences. And then we started having um, more words, but it was a lot of noun town, just a lot of, you know, the things you like. And really they were just expensive choice boards. Uh, They were talking choice boards. And so now I see that that huge sea change toward um, having core language is one of the options, but I also feel like we need to remember the whole issue of multimodality. And I know everybody talks about it, but I don't really see as much happening in multimodality as I'd like to. And one other thing, I, I I feel like we have so many people for so many years have been talking about the importance of modeling. I mean, I remember talking about that in the first textbook I ever wrote, which was finished in 1980. Um, it was a textbook on AAC for, for you know, graduate students. And we talked about how important it was to model. And I think it's only been in the last five to 10 years that I see everybody on the modeling bandwagon and really getting it that that's how people are going to learn. And that's been really exciting, but incredibly frustrating that it took so long to get there, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
can you um, can you clarify a little bit or dig mm-hmm. deeper into the what you mean by multimodalities, right? Because I think a lot of people think, well, what do you mean? I gave them something and they're pointing with their finger or they're they're tapping mm-hmm. something. Can you what what exactly do you mean by multiple multiple modalities? Well, you know, so many people I work with have do a great job with facial expressions and with uh, body gestures, but sometimes individuals only do that occasionally, but they can, and they need to know how powerful that is. I know that uh, one person I work with is just so good with both facial ge- and gestures, and it may, when she presents, it's so much more powerful because you get the whole gestalt of who she is. So you hear the words she's saying, and that's really good. But then you see a gesture, or a stance or something like that. And then you hear a vocalization uh, uh, that shows how that she actually is, is, is laughing about this and thinks this is very humorous. And then you get a, you know, really funky facial expression. And all of that together gives me so much more. And so you know, trying to work with the individuals we're working with, I'm trying to, you know, point that out when I see somebody make a gesture who doesn't do it all the time and try to, you know, to really build on that and make that happen more. So, you know, I mean, I'm having a really hard time not getting all my hands in into the picture and not gesturing because you're only seeing my face. And I'm such, a, you know, I'm one of these people, if you tied my hands, I think I just wouldn't be able to talk. And I would love to see us help figure out. And I'm not saying I'm doing a perfect job of that at all. I really have a lot more I need to do. I also am seeing, um, I'm seeing devices and apps that are more multimodal, that offer quick talk kinds of things, that offer ways to quickly tell stories of our lives that are just really hard to do word by word for many individuals because because it's really slow, that we have more powerful ways to tell jokes that are fast and has, you know, sound effects and, and things like that. So just figuring out how can we do this light tech um, with your bodies and how can we do this with your technology? How can we really make that um, multimodality uh, a big deal? I, I love what you're saying, Caroline, as far as the, the, the whole picture, because I think that that goes a long way and we don't even recognize sometimes we're focusing so heavily on a device that we don't see even those gestures, those facial expressions. And I, I love your point of seeing that and really making the, the person aware that mm-hmm. they're even doing it and what that means, um, taking something that they're already doing and building off of it so that it can be you know, a more consistent skill. Can I also say that, um, so I have a 12-year-old daughter, and as far as we know, she has no disabilities, and she, um, just recently, my wife and I are having this conversation with her that um, we would go in and be like, hey, how you doing? Fine. Wait, you said fine in a way that, and you and you slumped your shoulders like you're not really fine, you know? She's uh-huh. like, what do you mean? What do you mean, Dad? And it's like, well, see how there you could say like, I'm fine, I'm totally cool, Mom. Or hey, um, could you clean up the room? Fine, I'll clean it up. You know? Well, it doesn't sound like you are really fine with cleaning up your room or that you want to do that. You you could make it sound like, hey, oh yeah, sure, no problem, Mom. I can do that. That's awesome. I, yes, you're right. It is kind of a mess in here, but you don't say that. And I guess the the reason I'm pointing that out is what I'm hearing you say, both Caroline and Rachel, is the idea that 
these sort of subtle expressions and our facial, they all tell a story and they all mean something. And sometimes what we do is really point out what it might be obvious to other people. We have to teach it explicitly to, to cer certain people, right? You, this, when you, like my, I was teaching my daughter explicitly, you, you didn't really feel inside that you were angry at mom, but the way your face came off and the way you shrugged your shoulders and the way you turned away sent a whole different message than the words you were saying. Yep. And then there's that eye rolling, right? And, you know, it's, I mean, eye rolling is a skill that, that I have some students who use communication devices who are really great at the uh, eye roll that, that gives so much, because we don't have all the tones in your devices. A lot of times, sometimes we want to give that tone of fine, you know, that, that that was intentional, that we really want to say, you want me to clean my room, I don't want to clean my room, but I will do it because you are my parent and you give me food and shelter. So I, but I really do want you to know that I'm not excited about this. That's much harder to express. If you just say fine using your AAC device, it comes out, you know, it's kind of atonal, it doesn't give that. And so giving that body expression to say, yeah, that's fine. I'm really happy about that suggestion you gave. You know, you just said, hey, we're going to have pizza for dinner. Fine. Or, you know, clean up your room. Fine. I think it's really important to help people recognize how to, how to be more successful in sharing what they really meant to share rather than just um, letting the device do the talking because it isn't always so, so effective. Yeah. So something, Caroline, that you are sort of famous for is this concept of communication circles. But if people haven't heard of it, can you describe what that is um, and you know, how, how would someone get started using sure. it? And then really, because we're living in this pandemic, what does that look like in a distance learning sure. sort of environment? Okay. So communication circles are circles of, of peers to help an individual learn to use their communication device, but it's peer partners. I, I, I really think that's important because it's really easy for it to denigrate into let me help this poor student. And that's not the point at all. It's supposed to be collaborative brainstorming on how we can be successful helping individuals think about how to customize the device to really show your personality, but also modeling more people who are modeling on the device and people, more people having conversations with an individual who uses a device and people that they really want to talk to. Because I have seen, for example, the same, so I have an example of a young woman who's maybe a fifth grader who was practicing giving compliments because it's a really good way for partners to want to have that conversation with you because we all like to be complimented. Um, we all like to have personally meaningful questions, et cetera. So there are certain things we can do that are kind of easy to teach. So we were teaching how to do compliments in this communication circle. And when the young woman gave the compliment your shirt is uh, very pretty, then her partner went, I know. And it was such a different response that if I could have done that, and seriously, there would have been synchronized eye rolling from the entire group because it would have been so dorky if I had done that. But for her peer to do that was so motivating and made this young woman want to do it again. It's like, oh my gosh, this was really fun. And and her friends really liked it. And then they would help her go find another friend to kind of surreptitiously. They would set it up 
but in a very behind the scenes situation. So they would sit and do the, hey, who should we give a compliment to today? Oh, how about, and they, they would pick somebody and then they would talk about what they might say. And then um, they'd just call the friend over and the student would give the compliment in a really natural way. And it was a great way for making connections. So communication circles are about supporting your peers, uh, modeling, having a lot of fun, and it's very um, planful and thoughtful. And I have, you know, webinars, uh, exceptional student, uh, exceptional ed, and I have, um, you know, books about it and so forth. But now let's think about what happens um, when you're not at school. So if there already is a communication circle set up, then we could definitely have someone try to facilitate that distance learning. The trick is going to be that the facilitator is not in the same room as any of the peers. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I really want to be thinking more about how we're going to keep communication circles going during this time. But I think the easier, quicker way to do it is to think of your family as your communication circle. This, you know, we've got to think about opportunities. There, there have to be silver linings at such um, horrific, scary time. And so if we can think about what are some things that can actually be better because we're stuck at home. And one of the things that can be better is that your siblings can learn a new language. So my grandchildren are each learning a new language during this time, okay? They each picked a language and they're trying to learn a new language. How about if siblings learn the language of AAC, which is actually fun to learn. I mean, kids really enjoy trying to find where are these words on, figuring out the patterns of the device and how can I find this and how can I find that? But it then gets beyond just how do I find it to how do I use it? How do I model it? How do I have these fun interactions? So I'm going to do a webinar with Exceptional Ed next week, and we're going to um, talk about how families can set up communication circles. And I'm going to just, another thing I'm going to do is to start a Dropbox and have an activity every week for families to do, that that would be be part of it that that during the pandemic i'm not i'm not saying i'm gonna do this the rest of my life but <laughs> while we're sheltered in place that i will have one activity a week that that people can do as a family that would be a fun activity that would help everybody and everybody has to use the communication device so that everybody's learning and it's all, it's on all of us and we're really all getting better at it and just that connection of of feeling uh, we did um a Zoom meeting last week for a literacy group that I run every Friday with uh, three teenagers who have Rett syndrome and their parents and siblings. And I saw more engagement from one of the siblings. It's like she really feels like we're in this together. And I saw her so engaged, so supportive, just much more excited about it. You know, she's a teenager and she was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And now she's just, she's, she's bought in. You know, she really wants to be part of this. So I think that um, we can tap into that sense that we're, you know, kind of on our little island together and what can we do to make it a better island. I love that. I think that, you know, incorporating siblings is something that we always aspire to do and we always try to do, but mm -hmm. you, you really nailed it when you said like, we're kind of being forced in a lot of ways to do things that we, you know, we think outside the box and do things that we, you know, maybe normally wouldn't have the capacity to do if we're, you know, a school-based SLP, um, or, you know, even in private practice, I, you know, don't oftentimes get that glimpse into the home environment. 
and I love incorporating siblings, you know, in my sessions now that they're digital, it's a lot easier. I see brother over on the couch and I'm like, bring them over, bring them over, you know, and I'm able to, you know, very easily incorporate siblings into the recommendations that I'm giving, the teaching that I'm doing with parents. Mm -hmm. Um, and kids are really excited. You know, they're my special helpers and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check in with you next week. Like how many times are you going to model that on the device? Um, and so it can be a really fun game that you play with kids as a way to get them involved. And like you said, kids are way more receptive to peers than they'll ever be with adults. And so, you know, if we can get siblings facilitating communication and, you know, building stronger connections with their, you know, siblings who have AAC, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. We're really trying to do some pranks. I mean, how fun are pranks, right? And so it's just such a great time to start pranking each other. So I'm I'm, I'm working on sharing lots of pranks and my uh, grandson turned eight yesterday and his favorite present, I don't have any idea what else he got because the only thing he wanted to talk about was, well, he didn't want to talk about it. He wanted to show it while we're FaceTiming. He immediately got out the whoopee cushion and he's just having so much fun whoopee cushioning us. And then he's doing it with his brother and sister all day long. And so this is just something fun. And so we're trying to figure out also, what do you have already in your house that you could use to do a prank? And so I just learned a new one yesterday that you can have a raisin and you have the raisin hidden in your hand and then you go, ooh, there's a fly. And then you drop the raisin and you hit it and then you pick it up and eat it. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so funny. Is that a great prank or what? And then, of course, you know about making brownies for people, right? Man, I made you some brownies. And you know what brownies, do you know what brownies are, Rachel? I don't. I don't. Oh, so this is perfect. You've taken a brown construction paper and cut out a bunch of E's. The letter letter E. (laughs) And you put the E's on on a plate and you cover it with an aluminum foil. And this is a type of thing you could leave at somebody's doorstep and then you could could uh, uh, FaceTime them opening it and uh, looking at the brown ease, right? So, <laughs> or you could do this uh, digitally showing it to your, to your grandma. We, I baked you some brownies, Nana. And then, you know, having fun. And then, then you, you're like, what should we do? And then she's telling you to open it and you open it. And of course it's brown ease. And so, you know, just. People won't, people won't know this, but we are recording just a few days before April Fool's Day. Oh, so very good. Perfect time to be talking Sweet. about uh, pranks. Yeah. And my family is one of those, they, they cringe on, on April Fool's. They're like, they, they send out messages for help because I am, uh, I'm known for doing the pranks <laughs> around the house. I'll have to find some of them and show pictures of them because uh, that morning. So yes, I just love the whole idea of, of pranking people. Yeah. Um, let me ask you another quick question here about the communication circles. I feel like, um, and especially in this distance learning, um, I feel like if you looked at therapy just in general around the entire country before the pandemic, you might say, and again, no, no hard data here. This is just me speculating. 90% of therapy was direct therapy and 10% was sort of a coaching or consulting and working with the peers. And, you know, you have communication circles, but that's on top of me doing some sort of individual thing. Right. And I wonder if, do you foresee that flip-flopping, that now 90% will be the coaching and communication partners and, and teaching other people how to work with AAC and 10% will be d- doing direct therapy? I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts, uh, both of you? Oh, I would love to say yes, but I think old habits die hard. 
I love the coaching model. I think it's so much more effective. I think when we're all in groups and we're, we're modeling for each other, I run a community outing group too, that, that we're going to try to figure out how to do next week, a uh, community inning. And so uh, I, I just think that model is so much more effective and so much more successful. I believe in camps. I think all that stuff works best. I'll be thrilled if it goes to 20%, Chris, but I would love it to be 90%. I think, and I think coaching has to be real coaching, not just doing a flyby consulting and telling a teacher what to do because it has to be doing the modeling and co modeling it in the classroom, how we're, how we're you know, communicating all day and then coaching so that teacher can get become more effective. And I think a lot of times people kind of, think that coaching and consulting are the same and they're not at all the same. They're very, very different. And coaching is, coaching is so amazing and consulting is, is great, but doesn't, I don't always see the follow through from consulting that I see from coaching. Mm -hmm. Just the people that, uh, that might be listening and be like, well, what is the distinction between the two? I know that I, the way I talk about it is consulting is more like you're, you're pulling someone in and they're telling you what to do. That's a consultant where a coach, you pull them in and they ask you questions. So you come up with what to do by yourself. Is that a good distinction? But I also see direct coaching where we can go into a classroom, for example, and model how to use AAC more interactively, everybody, and then coach it also where we're, I mean, I, I agree with your coaching issues of brainstorming and create collaboratively doing problem solving. But I also think we can take what we were doing as direct therapy and turn that into coaching too. I think coaching can have, I think we can have multiple coach hats, coaching for solutions and we're coaching for how to, you know, here's how you strive for five. And I'm going to think of five things that we're going to model a lot during the science experiment. And, you know, I'm going to do this and model this today. And now let's collaborate and we're going to figure it out together. And the parents are going to pick the five things that they're going to model during this other activity. And now everybody's going to do it and I'm going to observe and, and coach and, and so forth. So I think there's, I think there's so many opportunities. And so I will be so hopeful that the lessons we learn, I mean, I have to tell you, I just learned about annotating in Zoom last night while we were having a uh, virtual happy hour. We were annotating on, in the virtual happy hour. And I feel like such an idiot that I didn't know this. But now that I know better, I plan to do better in my consulting, in, in my practice when I'm doing tele whatever, teletherapy. Tele-AAC. Um, yeah, tele-AAC. When I'm doing that, I plan to use the things I'm learning, you know, during this time. And I hope that those will be things we'll use forever, that we're going to make a lot of progress and then we'll use it, you know, in the foreseeable future. So. I love the annotating feature. Uh, Carolyn, have you seen the stamps on Zoom? So you can, do a, you can do a stamp. And so I've been using that when I stream my device and I'm trying to model, I'll like have a child pick what stamp and like all the girls want the heart. Um, yes. But anyway, I'll yep. use the stamp on the word that I'm modeling because part of the problem is, you know, when we're typically modeling, we can see, you know, a hand, right? We can see the hand moving right. around, around the screen. You know, it's not as easy when you're just mirroring your iPad screen to, you know, your computer. And so a workaround is using those stamps or the, uh, there's a spotlight feature. So I've been really- I love the spotlight. Yeah, I'm very things. excited about the spotlight. So yeah, I, I just 
think these are going to be such powerful tools that I can see myself using them when I, for example, my literacy group, we're projecting up onto the uh, Apple TV. So I can see me try figuring out, okay, these tools I've used, I'm not going to give them up. You know, once I'm in the same room, I'm still going to want those, those same tools that they're going to make things more you know, more helpful. I mean, I love my, I use my document camera all the time. I happen to have one. I've seen online how people are figuring out little document using their iPhone on a little platform with a can of soup behind to keep this uh, platform from tilting as a document camera. So it's, it's bringing out the creativity in all of us. And I, I am a major, major um, knitter, spinner, weaver kind of person. And so I really love using creativity in my fun times, but I love creativity at work too. And I, I am excited about that. So I think we have to be continually looking for these silver linings and then trying to keep them. Once we're back to whatever normal is, then we still want to be keeping the excitement of being creative and being out of the box. We want to thank Caroline so much for coming on. Um, She also shared a special resource. We're giving away five copies of her brand new resource, Social Scripts and Pranks. Um, The day that this audio will air is April Fool's Day. And there's no better way to support communication than to get kids laughing. And she has an entire amazing resource all about social scripts and pranks. We also wanted to say that we are thinking about all of our listeners during this challenging time, and we want you guys to stay safe. And if there's anything we can do to support you guys, please let us know. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.